Hi, welcome to episode 34 of Talk About the Passion, Words I Manifest. I'm your host, Christian Campagna. I'm going to make this intro quick today as I'm currently on vacation in beautiful Southern California, soon to be in beautiful Central Coast, California, and eventually the beautiful uh, Bay Area of California. <laughs> and that's a, that's a lot of beautiful stuff I know for this uh, sort of uh, dark, cold time of year. I've only been here a few days, and I went uh, pretty hard buying records yesterday. Five shops I had never uh, stepped into in the San Diego area. I found a lot of good stuff, uh, including a ton of stuff from Boston that I couldn't find there, but I found out here. Uh, and I'm going to have to ship all this stuff back. Uh, enough about me and my uh, vacation exploits. Uh, my guest today is Brian Coleman. Brian is a Boston-area author who has written a number of books, including Rakim Told Me, uh, check the Technique, uh, Volume 1 and Volume 2. And of course, his newest book, Buy Me Boston, which just came out. We get into all these books in this conversation, and uh, Brian talks a lot about his interview process uh, with some of the artists he's had to interview for you know, doing research on the, the hip-hop records he covers, as, as well as you know, what it's like to sort of get into the head of some of these artists and see how they arrived at that you know, finished product that we all love, the, the album. And... Uh, you know, the, the, these books too are like more of an homage too to the to the art of just the al- the, the album, which I think is kind of lost nowadays. And we, and we talk a little bit about that. Um, these these three books, however, though, for if you're a hip hop fan, they're they're essential reads. And uh, as Brian explains in the episode, these books aren't for people just getting into hip hop. They're definitely written for people like me who, you know, just want more information on hip-hop artists and more specifically the records uh, that each chapter covers. So, uh, you know, he, he gets pretty deep into that stuff, and uh, you should definitely check uh, all of those books out. Uh, and, and he refers to those books as Invisible Liner Notes, uh, which is which is pretty cool. He has an encyclopedic knowledge of uh, hip-hop music and uh now with this new book, uh, Buy Me Boston, he shows us Boston as how a lot of us uh, grew up around here. Uh, remember it, you know, via advertisements. Advertisements. Buy Me Boston is a, a great collection of ads from a you know a bygone era that is in all of our DNA. Well, people who grew up are, are in the Boston area in the '60s, '70s, '80s. And uh, Brian has an event coming up this weekend for that book. Uh, this weekend being the second weekend of. November 2018. Obviously, if you're listening to this after the weekend of that, uh, there's no Buy Me Boston event at the Brattle this weekend. Uh, but but Brian talks extensively about it, and I will uh, I'll link link to it in the, my social media outlets. It, it looks like a pretty amazing event, and uh, I'm a, unfortunately still going to be away when that takes place. So, uh, but you should you should definitely check it out if you're from the area and uh, check that book out. Uh, I'm on social media at Facebook and Instagram. Search for Talk About the Passion podcast, and you should be able to find me there. Uh, or you can also hear me at uh, hear this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, or you know wherever you listen to your podcasts. If you or someone you know would like to be on this podcast, please get in touch, and we'll we can set something up. Uh, and yeah, that's it. So, episode thirty four words I manifest Brian Coleman check it out and uh, thanks for listening so I'm here uh, with my friend uh, Brian Coleman 
And uh, how are you doing today, man? I'm good. How are you? Good. Very good. And uh, I'm glad to be on. Yeah. We've been talking about this for a while. So. Yeah, yeah. Our, our mutual friend, Zach uh, Lazar, uh, who's kind of a character. Uh, you can say that. What's up, Zach? <laughs> uh, set us up. And uh, so I'm, gl- I'm glad you came out to do this. Yeah. And, uh, no, it's, it's wonderful to be here. Seaside. <laughs> uh, so <laughs> where did you grow up, Brian? I grew up all over the Northeast, not in one place. Um, I've lived in Boston or in Massachusetts longer than anywhere else Mm -hmm. in my life, but I lived in uh, central New Jersey, northern New Jersey, upstate New York, like Rochester. Um, I won't really generally admit it, but I lived in Connecticut for two (laughs) years, but I want to talk about that. And... um, yeah, so I've been in Boston since 88, mm-hmm. and I, I came there to go to Boston College, and I've been there ever since. So uh, I'm not a born and bred Bostonian, right. but yeah, yeah. Uh, as you can probably tell from my accent, but um, I consider myself a, that's my adopted town yeah. for sure. I've lived there longer than anywhere else. Yeah. That's where my affinity kind right. of lies. I mean, I went to uh, basically elementary school in Acton, mm-hmm. so... That was my first kind of you know going into Red Sox right. games, going to the North End, mm-hmm. going to the the No Name and yeah. stuff like that. So I still have that, uh, you know, that would be my rosebud kind right. of thing. If I went back, I would right. think back because I, I, you know, Acton was great. I loved it there, mm-hmm. um, but my my family just moved around a bunch. Yeah. So mm-hmm. um, yeah. And uh, so, how did you when you were younger? How did you get into music or? Uh, film and writing and that kind of stuff? I mean, it's a good question. I mean, I I think I was pretty serious about music, at least in my mind, fairly early on. I, I, it wasn't just entertainment to me. It wasn't just in the background. Like Mm -hmm. I, I would say by the time I was in just before my teens, I was not exactly, you know, a music authority in any way, sense or form. But I think I, I kind of realized that it was something I paid attention to. It wasn't just mm-hmm. something that floated by right. in the background. Right. Um, I can remember when I was a kid, when I was probably seven or eight, I had a little Fisher Price uh, record player thing, and I had right. some 45s, and I would just listen to yeah. them over and over. I had like a, the Spinners Rubber Band Man oh, was nice. one of them. Hughes Corporation Rock the Boat. Yeah. Um, some rocks. I had a Bill Haley and the Comets rock around the clock. Oh, yeah. Was um, that maybe that was days? a happy day. I would have guessed. <laughs> I can't remember actually right. how I obtained those 45s, yeah. like a yard sale right. or if someone gave them to me right. or if I actually bought them. But um, I definitely remember that. Um, I got much more serious about it in early high school. Yeah. I was in uh, central New Jersey. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was... I don't know. It just kind of was always there and it was just growing yeah. in me as something I was just really interested in and engaged with. Yeah. And I mean, I think once I don't remember how I went, how I got to my first punk show, mm-hmm. um, which was, I think, in 1985 at City Gardens. So City Gardens in Trenton, yeah. which is a fairly infamous um, yeah. punk club, became my my second home home, really in high school in the Mm -hmm. mid eighties. And it was incredible. You know, I'd never experienced anything like it clearly. And, but I also felt an almost instant affinity 
for it because it was just this, it was a place where kind of outcasts could not be all outcasty, right. you know, like yeah, you yeah. could kind of get together and, right. and feel like even though you were all freaks and right. all weird and no one necessarily looked like everyone else, there was this affinity. Right. Um, because no one else really in my high school, uh, it's not like I was following anyone around or right. I wanted to be like this person or yeah. anything like that. So I just kind of found my way into it. Mm-hmm. And you just the, the going to your first hardcore show, I think the first show I went, I'd have to look at my little right. list of, of shows yeah. that I used to write down, but I think it was GBH, Corrosion of Conformity, maybe DRI. I mean, it was a a pretty goddamn good lineup, considering that I didn't know who the bands were when I got there. I just, that's the thing. I think a friend of mine who was maybe a year or two older may have heard that that was the place to go. And that was it. I mean, once you see that, you see a pit and you see the intensity and you see. Um, I think the engagement, you see yeah. that the, the audience isn't there to sit down, right. yeah, you yeah. know, and do like jazz snaps yeah. and stuff like right. that. Like this is yeah. no holds barred. This is you're, you're in it, yeah. you know, you're in the shit, yeah. so to speak. Yeah. And, um, it was incredible. And so, so I didn't exclusively listen to hardcore. I, I was mentioning to you before off mic that like, I was really into the alarm, you yeah, know, yeah. like I was, um, drawn to them i think because there's always if you're not an alarm fan you don't yeah. really understand the thing about you two and the alarm right and it was like this battle you yeah know, it was like course. one or the other it yeah, was, it was like, like yeah, fuck you coat. too man yeah. you can't you know so uh yeah. i kind of was the team alarm and yeah. i and i because uh, they were like the underdogs yeah. you two were like the big stars right. and the alarm were these guys from uh they were welsh right i think, I think so yeah and they were so they were kind of they were very political they were very engaged so so i got into that too so it wasn't all hardcore right. but i think i drifted to hardcore groups like um circle jerks mm-hmm. uh the descendants i would say were probably my number one favorites yeah. uh for many many different reasons yeah. but seven seconds i think we're close yeah. behind them mm-hmm. um it was great it was amazing i mean in city gardens was a a really insane place i mean as any punk club is yeah. you know gallery east or any any right. of these kind of places like that but um you kind of figured out that if you played enough by the rules right. that the rules are different rules than yeah. living in quote-unquote normal society right. but as long as you didn't act like too much of a dick yeah as long as you didn't think you were too tough as right. long as you didn't uh Whatever, as long as you didn't step out of line, because the, I think looking back, the beauty of it was that you, if you stepped out of line, you get put back yeah. in line. Yeah, and people um, policed it. It didn't have to sort of have to. But be it wasn't secure. like, but it was there. Uh, I think, and looking back, it's it's interesting because now this is thirty years yeah. looking back. Um, it wasn't even because it, from the outside, if you're uninitiated and you don't really understand, yeah, you think some things like punching someone else or knocking someone else down in the pit is an aggressive act right. and is an, yeah. aga- an act of, um, you know, fuck you, right. uh, I'm going to kick your ass, but it really wasn't. And yeah. there was that whole thing of you get knocked down and p- other people pick you up. Right. And it was, it was really interesting. So it was self-policed, but, um, and it was kind of real, but it wasn't 
even angry. So right. like we all saved a lot of our, I guess, anger or angst or whatever you want to call it for everyone else in the yeah. world. Yeah. And like when we were in there, mm-hmm. and it's the same thing in any uh, place yeah. like that in right. Boston, mm-hmm. whatever that was. Yeah, um, yeah. The channel or or Bunratties or whatever right. were the sa- was the same thing. Yeah. So that was kind of the beauty. Is so when I came um, up to Boston yeah. in '88, I went from CBGBs and City Gardens yeah. right into that scene into yeah. the channel and the Rat. Right. And it was ex- it w- I understood it. It yeah. was like speaking the same language. Right. It was like going from one one yeah. uh, French speaking yeah. <laughs> uh, country to yeah, another yeah. French speaking country, yeah. and it was a little different. Right, a little more violent yeah. um, up here. The slap yeah. shot shows were no joke. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, like even Seabees wasn't. Well, yeah, there was nothing like a slap shot show yeah. at Bunratty's, right. like a matinee or, or the Channel. Yeah. Um, it was some pretty. Me- violent shit yeah you so you so you had to kind of adapt but you could still you understood the language um and that was kind of the beauty of it so hard hardcore travels yeah uh, yeah travels across (laughs) state and and international yeah of course yeah and in in that era too 88 89 is sort of when it started switching over to a little more you know bands like slaughter shack started Mm -hmm. happening and yep seika and sort of the bands that weren't afraid to go metal or or you know Birthday party influence, yeah. That kind of stuff. I, I think it was interesting in the the uh, all ages hardcore movie. I don't even remember who the hell said it, but it, they were talking about groups like SSD, and, yeah. and they were like, "I mean, we basically learned to play our instruments, yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> and yeah. once you learn right. to play your instrument, yeah, you start making gonna... metal. And yeah, yeah. it's that simple. It wasn't yeah. like we always wanted to be Iron Maiden. Yeah, it was like." We just were better. Yeah, yeah, exactly. We actually knew more than one chord, yeah. so we could, yeah. we could kind the guitar of guitar solos actually. And it, yeah, and it got it got. Yeah. Uh, and and so it, I I always find that interesting. Um, that whole thing where you want the band that you love to stay the same forever, right? Um, even ten years on, you want yeah. them to stay sound like they did ten years ago, yeah. and that and the band doesn't want that, right? So. Sometimes the fans stay, but right. a lot of times they don't. And yeah. and I yeah you know, I, I feel that way too. Like sometimes you'll go see a, a yeah. band, and the worst thing that a, a band can do in a reunion is like, oh, we've got a new album yeah. coming out, and you're yeah. like, fuck. I know, right? <laughs> it, sometimes it works out. I yeah. mean, uh, Proletariat are yeah. back, and they still sound yeah, as amazing yeah. as they ever did. Mission yeah. of Burma, I think, sounded as good when oh, they yeah. came back. Yeah. Um, There's exceptions. There are definitely exceptions, but they are exceptions. Usually it's like, oh, God. (laughs) And I won't name any other names of the negative on that one. But uh, (laughs) yeah. But so I think no matter what I do, I always still see through the lens of my earliest um, engagement with music, beyond being a fan, which was going to those hardcore shows. Um, And I still. I still demand that feeling out of new music I oh, listen yeah. to. Like yeah, if definitely. it doesn't engage yeah, me yeah. like that, if it doesn't punch you in the chest, then yeah. it's like, uh, I mean, yeah. I'll go, I got a lot of old stuff to listen to. <laughs> yeah, so, you know, right. yeah. yeah. Now, how did you uh, get into writing? Uh, were you doing that as, as a teenager or? No, it's interesting. My writing career, I always call it accidental. I mean, mm-hmm. it wasn't, I never, when I was younger, I wrote, you know, right. as English class and wrote right. 
kind of like dumb little short stories and stuff, but I yeah. never considered myself a writer and nor did I want to be a writer. Right. It really kind of, I, I knew I was half decent as a writer, but mm-hmm. even yet I didn't um, ever say, even as I got into my twenties, like yeah. I want to be a writer. And I certainly didn't go to journalism school. I wasn't on the school paper. I wasn't right. doing any of that. Yeah. So I really think what happened and yet again, my everything I do is through this kind of punk hardcore lens is, yeah. is um, I was just kind of sick of the way that things were in the Boston media. Yeah. And, and I said, you know, there's so many good bands and all of these idiots are not writing about any yeah. of it. They're just saying, oh, Aerosmith is back. <laughs> and it's like, oh, my God, are you right. kidding me? Yeah, yeah. So I just said, I'm just going to write this because I think that it's ridiculous that no one else is. Yeah. And I, and this carries forward to the books I've put out is like, yeah. it's not going to be great and it's not going to be perfect, mm-hmm. but at least it's out there. At least, yeah, exactly. I, at least I'm making an yeah, effort. Yeah, documenting and this stuff. And- yeah, but it's, it's kind of more, to me, it's interesting. Like there are very few writers in my own history of, of reading, mm-hmm. uh, especially journalism, that I have actually, I don't necessarily read reviews or features in like music magazines mm-hmm. um for the actual uh article right. i use it for information mm-hmm. because and this is my own character as a, as a person mm-hmm. is i just don't really give that much of a shit what yeah. other people think right right <laughs> <laughs> that's really yeah, yeah. what it boils down right. to it yeah, i can say that's well written or right. oh that's kind of insightful yeah but in reality i'm like just tell me it's out right. and give me a little bit of context and I'll figure it out from there. Yeah. And that was a lot more difficult, as you know, in the 80s and 90s oh, yeah. in that you couldn't just jump on YouTube and say, oh, I can listen to 20 songs yeah. and get a primer of this <laughs> yeah, band of in a half hour. Yeah. I have plenty of stories of um, hearing a band like on the radio or something like that, but missing segue was, where, right. where they said who it was yeah. and it would drive me absolutely yeah. insane because this band can change my life but yeah. i don't even know who the hell they are so right. this actually happened most notably in my own career with fishbone um mm-hmm. who were definitely in my top five bands of all time yeah. um but for a year i didn't know who the hell they were yeah i had a i had taped at the very tail end of a video of the modern industry yeah and it didn't say who it was right. like at mtv <laughs> I could be wrong, but I think in the in those days in the eighties they only listed the band and the at album the at the beginning, right? And not at the end, or maybe it was on another channel and it right. wasn't on MTV. But for whatever reason, yeah. I was like, "Holy <laughs> shit, who is this?" Yeah. And but I couldn't find out who they were. Yeah. And so that day of revelation, when I finally was like, "Oh my god, that's them!" was yeah. incredible because yeah, yeah. it was like I've been living with this, <laughs> you know. Uh, for so long and it was just in- where did you hear it eventually and then discover that it was a fishbone that's another good question i wonder i may have because i had it on a vhs like i had so maybe i made a tape of it yeah because i used to shop at the princeton record exchange mm-hmm. That's a good question. You said modern I, industry. Though. Yeah. Well, no, I don't even yeah. think I knew the title. Yeah, um, yeah. I think I just said, do you know, you know, I would go, it was almost like, a, you know, I would go up to people 
like I felt like I was going up to people on the street, like, do you, can you help me please, <laughs> right, sir? Yeah, know. You know, as if someone's chasing you <laughs> yeah, in a horror exactly. movie or, you know, whatever, you just got robbed and, right. you know, so it was, it was this whole, it seemed much more intense than of course it was, but, right. um, but I, so that may have been how I did it. Right. Right. Um, yeah, but it, it, it was, it was a different time and it was, um, I think that's, that's a good thing. I think yeah. it's, it's, um, it's good to uh, not have ever, instant gratification. I really still don't believe is really that good of a thing right. most yeah. of the time. Yeah. Um, sometimes it's okay. Right. I can't say I don't partake in certain things that have instant gratification right. yeah. in them, but I think generally I avoid them on yeah. purpose because yeah. uh, I do think that there is a beauty of discovering things on your own. Yeah. So, so I guess that kind of leads back to as, as a writer, um, Maybe the good thing is I didn't um, have anyone that I was going to copy because mm -hmm. I didn't really pay a ton of attention. There were a couple writers I yeah. liked, mm -hmm. um, but even you know, even the classics, even like Lester Bangs, I didn't know who the hell Lester right. Bangs was yeah. in in my twenties even. Yeah. Um, and once I did, I was kind of like this. You know, I appreciated him. Right. I never would have read him, and I definitely don't think I ever would have wanted to hang out with right. him. Um, but I still respect him right. because uh, he was just an original, yeah. for sure. Um, so anyways, I, I think I started writing because there were groups. I remember specifically like The Roots. Yeah. I mean, my whole journey into being a hip-hop fan is a whole other thing, but... Um, I was going to actually go back to that. Yeah, yeah, I, yeah, I mean, it would make yeah. a lot yeah. of sense, yeah, certainly, yeah. And, yeah, and, I, so and I love that. But but yeah. so the Roots were a good example. In like 94, yeah. early 95, I was like, oh, my God, I had discovered them however I discovered them. Right. And nobody was talking about the Roots, yeah. and, and no one was writing about them. And I was like, what the hell is going yeah. on? Like, are you people all deaf? Right. And, you know, you're talking about, you know, Notorious B.I.G. and all this stuff. But like, what about the Roots? Right. So... I went to Tristram Lozaw, yeah. um, still a, a good friend of mine, uh, and uh, he was the editor of Boston Rock. And yeah. I said, if I do a column, will you run it? Yeah. I didn't say, will you pay me? Yeah, because yeah. that was probably out of the question right. no matter what. Yeah. But I didn't care. So, yeah. And he was like, sure. So I did that, and I started writing a column. And uh, so, and I'm, I mean, I'm almost positive my first column must have had the roots in it. But they were like reissue i remember there was like a last poets record had come out and i okay. reviewed that mm -hmm. um and that's kind of where i started i started in that zone yeah i never really wrote about hardcore or even rock i yeah. kind of um not because obviously i didn't listen to it and right. i didn't love it but more early on i kind of got in that lane yeah. um in hip-hop kind of funk soul mm -hmm. also i was doing a radio show at the time on wzbc oh okay and I was doing a funk show mm -hmm. and like an in, uh, old school hip hop show. Oh, so nice. that's just where my head was at yeah, anyways. Yeah. And that, to be honest, that's where I was, um, quote unquote, more on the cutting edge right. of what was coming out because yeah. promos were coming into the station. So yeah. I had this early access to it. So, right. um, but it wasn't that, um, it wasn't that I couldn't have written about rock stuff, but right. I just started in hip hop and just, right. just kind of stayed there. Yeah. And, and going back into the 80s, that's when you first got into hip-hop. In yeah. Uh, when did you first hear that? So at the same time, I was going to all the hardcore shows mm -hmm. in New Jersey. Um, I was, I, 
must a friend of mine must have told me about um, this radio show. Right. And so DJ Red Alert was on the weekends on Kiss 98 in New York. Yeah. And it was the same kind of thing um, as going to that first hardcore show right. when I first heard. I had listened to like Run DMC, to the Fat Boys yeah. on because they were on MTV. Right. And but I, I didn't really that was just pop music to me. Yeah. It wasn't like I said, oh, this is hip hop. Right. And it's different and it's a different culture. Yeah. And this is how it's produced differently. And blah, right. like, obviously, I was, song I was 13. Yeah. I was like, oh, I love the fat boys. So yeah. um, so then there was this the second kind of exposure to it, which was through Red Alert. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is probably like 86, yeah. 85, definitely 86, 87. Um, and it just blew my mind. It was that it had that same kind of rawness yeah. that that I loved in hardcore and punk stuff. Right. Um, clearly, it was very different mm-hmm. um, stylistically in a lot of different ways. But to me, the only thing I ever wanted out of music was just kind of to give me something I haven't heard before yeah. to kind of punch me a little bit yeah. and, and have me look in a different direction and right. and kind of. Uh, you have that first experience where you hear something and it just opens a whole new kind of world and you're like, holy shit. So yeah. there's a whole genre and there's this whole world out there yeah. that I don't didn't even know existed. You know, right. it's like finding a new planet yeah. or a new yeah. country or something like that. Right. Um, and you're just like, oh, my God. So so I dove into that at the yeah. same time. But. It's just, and it, but it was mostly through Red Alert. Mm-hmm. Um, interestingly, bands would play. Here's the, this is the funny thing. <clears throat> Hip, because, uh, so Trenton, for those who don't know geographically, is about almost exactly equidistant between New York and Philadelphia. Right. It's about an hour from each. Okay. And so that's where City Gardens was. That's, I was uh, in West Windsor outside of Trenton mm-hmm. um, in Princeton. And um, so, uh, bands from new york would play at city gardens hip-hop right. groups mm-hmm. um it wasn't just a punk club right. it was just like the channel would yeah, book, yeah. book um, right. hip-hop shows too mm-hmm. but the funny thing was so you'd go to see five bands on a hardcore bill and it'd be four dollars right. or six dollars yeah. the hip-hop shows are always like 15 right you know yeah um which is kind of funny because usually it was just like two people on right. stage right. <laughs> but right. they just had higher ticket prices yeah. and i just didn't have the money and right. i was like so public enemy or schoolie d would play yeah and um i just would be like i'm not paying 15 15 <laughs> who the hell pays 15 dollars to go to a show right um so but but it, it was pretty exorbitant for i mean for city gardens that yeah. was a lot of money to pay for a show yeah um so i was i wanted to go to those shows but i just didn't yeah um so yeah, so so I, I kind of was parallel pathing really from then on out yeah. with, um, but but not just hardcore and hip hop. I also started because hip hop. A lot of people have the same path, um, yeah. which is you start to realize like, oh shit. So who's sliding the family stone? Right. Yeah. And, um, backwards. And to get much deeper, like who's Chuck Brown and the Soul Searchers, and right. who's you know all these the people who are sampled. Right. And you start to. Um, then listen to the sources. And so right. then I started getting into funk stuff yeah. and African music and, mm-hmm. and, and a lot of electronic stuff, right. craft work, um, yeah. and started expanding. So, 
Um, so I think all throughout, I've really never stopped listening to either one of the uh, to hardcore hip hop. Um, my listening habits might change, but right. I've always it's just interesting that I've never really written about right. punk stuff. Yeah. Um, I think partially because I always also felt that there were enough people writing about yeah. um, punk stuff that yeah. it's like I would just be another yeah. another fish in the pond. Yeah, Whereas yeah. in hip hop, the stuff that I was covering when I was starting to write about it, um, I always consciously chose the stuff that most people didn't care about, which yeah. is basically anything that's unpopular. Right. So yeah, yeah. it ended up being um, old school stuff. So when everyone was trying to write about Jay-Z and right. Mace and, you know, yeah. whoever, all the big people who were out, I was always like, all right, I'll take everyone else. So right. yeah. wh whoever was coming up, Jurassic 5 or, right. you know, Cool Keith mm -hmm. and, and stuff like that. Yeah. There was really no competition, yeah, so I was like, "I'll." That's a hell of a lot more interesting yeah. to me than right. um, all this shit on Bad Boy. So, right. you know, let's throw it all at yeah. me. And then like DJ stuff when the turntablist movement yeah. became big in the mid and late '90s, I was kind of more of a specialist in there. Yeah, um, yeah. So that's just I never really thought I was going to be a writer. Right. Um, I'm not a bad writer, but I was never trained, and right. I was never. Uh, I have friends who are professional journalists yeah. and they're amazing. And it kind of puts me in a, a little bit of awe because I just don't have that impulse. Like yeah. I'm not the guy who has, you know, the, the, the pencil in his, in his, in his, <laughs> uh, his ear when the notepad yeah. and I'm taking down stuff. Like I, I just always done it more as a fan. Yeah. Yeah. And I, and I see that in the books. I mean, I, when you say in that though, I mean, when I look at the, the hip hop books, it seems like tons of tons of work goes into that. So I well, yeah. think you're being humble here a little bit. Well, better. I mean, the one thing but, I'll uh, say is I'm a really good interviewer. Yeah. Um, as Definitely. a writer, I'm fine. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I have my moments, but yeah. my books aren't about... Right. It's definitely um, a fan writing. It's not just yeah. someone going, hey, let's... Well, like you read like Touré or something like that. Mm -hmm. And it's like, that's very nice and flowery, yeah. but <laughs> he's also just you know, right. that's good for bedtime. So it puts you to sleep. So, yeah. um, so it's, it's kind of like, I would much rather have the, the facts right. um, presented and just my, my whole thing has always been, and I don't even know if I can really point to an exact example, um, of why, but it's always been to kind of generally stay out of the way. Cause yeah. there are a lot of writers. I mentioned Lester Bangs earlier. Right. Um, there are certainly a lot of hip hop writers too who kind of put themselves in the article, like they're part of the the show. Right. And I've never done that, and yeah. I will never yeah, do I that because that. I don't really believe in right. that approach. Yeah. Uh, I've never actually liked it. Yeah. Um, reading it, I, and some people do, and that's fine. But yeah. my thing has always been uh, to kind of present everything in a very sober kind of way mm -hmm. and let the artists stay in the spotlight. Yeah. Um, mm -hmm. So yeah, so it it worked out that way. But and and I like interviewing. I wasn't. It takes a while. It, yeah. it, sometimes when I talk to younger writers, if mm -hmm. if anyone ever approaches me and wants advice or whatever, yeah. um, it's always when you. The important thing is to be a good interviewer, right. and you will not be a good interviewer when you begin, no matter yeah. how much you prepare yeah, and how many courses you right. take. Yeah, and start with someone who doesn't mean shit. Don't start. One of my earliest interviews was with uh, 
Chuck D, yeah. which is not smart. Like right. I shouldn't have done that, yeah. you know, because I <laughs> right. should have started on a much lower level, right. but that was presented to me and how am I yeah. going to say no to that? Yeah, of course. Um, so yeah, so, so I, I consider myself uh, a much better interviewer than I am a writer Okay, for, what, for whatever that's worth. Yeah. And uh, so the, was the first book you put out, the Rakim told me book? Yes. So at a certain point, I was doing a lot of magazine writing. Right. And uh, for like XXL, um, Herb, CMJ, locally for um, the Herald, the Phoenix. And then I think, I don't know if every writer comes to that conclusion. I guess they don't because there are a lot of people who write for magazines and newspapers forever. Right. Maybe not now, but yeah. that's not their choice. Right, They're right. being forced <laughs> out of that world. But um, I just got kind of tired with it. I, I think my, my whole thing is um, I get bored really easily and yeah. I hate doing the same thing over and over again. Right. So at a certain point, I... I was kind of like, yeah, maybe books would be good because, you know, you write an article and you're proud of it and you're glad. And then yeah. next month, then it's in the trash gone. pile yeah, and yeah. it's gone. And um, so I there were, had been X number of books in the music world that had always been important to me. And, and right. it kind of struck me that what if I did one of those? What if I now it's not going to be as good right. as as David Toop or Stephen right. Hager, or some of these people who I consider to be kind of giants, mm -hmm. um, Nelson George, etc. But I can at least make make an attempt, and right. I can throw something out there that has a little bit more permanence to it, that puts more of a stake in the ground, and is not going to be this thing that's old news in in a week or a month. Right. And so, yeah, so I put together uh, this book called Rakim Told Me mm -hmm. that was, in effect, it was really just director's cut versions of pieces I had already done. Right. Um, so I would interview KRS-One mm -hmm. for three hours, yeah. and it was the most incredible interview, uh -huh. and oh my God, like right. he told me the craziest shit. Right. And then the editor would say, great, give me 600 words. Right. And I'd yeah. be like, God damn it. Right. And it was like, you know, what I've said before is like writing blue balls where you're just like, I have so much more stuff I want to right. say and they're just not letting me say it. Yeah. And this is bullshit. Right. So that was my response was like, I'm going to do this book and not only am I going to uh, put it out, but I'm going to put it out myself. Right. So no one can tell me what the hell yeah. I have to see. You know, it was me right. being very petulant. Yeah. Um, which I want to do. And so self-publishing works quite nicely for right. That kind of an approach, yeah. Um, and yeah, so but but I think I so with Rockham told me it was really just it was people had seen slices of what was in that right. um, with other pieces I had done, mm -hmm. but this was the way I wanted them presented, right. um, and I I had the ability to do that. So pieces that normally were. 600 800 words now became three thousand right. words, yeah. four thousand words, and. To me, that was amazing yeah, because it was like, finally, I can share these the way I want them to be shared. Right. Now, keep in mind, when you put out a self-published book or even if you put out a book on a, on a major, right. it's a lot different than when you do something in, in a huge publication, The Source or XXL, everyone has their eyes on that. And, yeah. and, and you know, my column was always way in the back right. next to the, the, the booty ads yeah. and stuff <laughs> like that. 
Right. Um, but still, people will be like, oh, I saw that, da-da-da. And right. like with a book, you don't get that right. generally. I yeah. mean, you have to work towards that of where course. you have to carve out your own distribution, your own exposure. Yeah. That's a whole other thing. But yeah, so the first one I put out, it was in 2005. Yep. And um, it was great. I mean, it was, uh, I went into it just saying, would I buy this book? Like right. if I wasn't involved with it, is yeah. this something I would buy? And I was just like, hell yes, oh, yeah. I would buy this definitely. Yeah. And so it's like, all right, well, maybe there are another thousand or 2000 people in the world who feel the same way. Yeah. And I think there are. Yeah. And I'm like, it might take me 10 years to sell off this you know, right. batch of 2000 I just printed up. Yeah. But who cares? Like, yeah. at least I did it. Yeah. And this is the only thing I'll ever put out. And right. good. At least I can't I can't be on my deathbed like I wish I <laughs> right. put out a book, you know, right. so I did it. And hopefully I won't die next year and, right. and all that. So um, and it kind of sold like gangbusters, uh, relatively speaking. Yeah. So I had burned through that first printing of 2000 in definitely less than a year yeah. um which was amazing and i sold it in record stores yeah. not in bookstores bookstores yeah. never i bookstores have never really messed with me yeah um yeah. and i don't really mess with them either right. and i and i don't care because i don't yeah. really need them like if right. any of them want to come on board right. great but i'm not going to kiss their ass yeah. because it a book I've said this many times before, like a book in a record store stands out. Oh, of course. A book in a bookstore. Yeah. Eh, okay. Right. There's yeah. like 50,000 more yeah. of these, but whatever. Um, so that's, that was kind of my approach. And then it grew into, um, an editor at Random House, uh, well, actually called Villard. It was like a division of Random House. Heard, uh, saw, found, Rakim told me and liked it and yeah. reached out. And then that was kind of hilarious to me. Right. I was kind of like, <laughs> it was great though, because, but this is what I also tell um, people, like young people who want to go through the process of um, doing a book proposal and right. basically begging these major publishing houses who don't know what the hell is going to sell. Mm. And half of them don't give a shit. Like right. they want their one blockbuster book yeah. and then they don't care about the rest right. of the catalog. Yeah, and it's a really shitty thing to go through. And yeah. it's very much a direct comparison towards being a musician, being on a major label. Oh, yeah, it's the exact course. same thing. Yeah. So um, if you can put it out yourself, like do it. And yeah. when I did the first book, when I did rock him told me this whole kind of uh, print on demand thing, wasn't a thing right. so that I, I would have done that. Yeah. Um, but it, that wasn't a thing. The internet was not really as much. You yeah. couldn't really just put out your own blog and right. do that or your Instagram, blah, blah, blah. So you had to print them up. Now you have all these options. Um, it's a really, anyone who's put out their own album before their own yeah. single and certainly their own book knows the feeling. But oh, yeah. when you get that batch and you've got 2000 books yeah. sitting there and you're like, I don't, I didn't even have the money to print these <laughs> up. So how in the fuck am I going to sell these? Right. This is, it's a very frightening and daunting yeah. thing. So it makes it that much more, um, gratifying when it actually does yeah. eventually sell. Yeah. Um, because first of all, cause you're like, okay, now I'm not gonna yeah. have to mortgage my house. Right. But, 
Um, but it's good because you, it feels good um, to kind of see something, have a crazy idea and yeah. see it through and not have it bomb and yeah. be a complete shit show. So, um, especially before like that era with the internet and so yeah. like, like a lot of, a lot of word of mouth. Yeah. But know. it's like, um, I've always had, uh, the one thing I've always respected, I mean, well, the one thing I've definitely always respected is if I have a choice between an artist who's on a major label and an indie, yeah. obviously I'm always going to go for the indie person because right. I realize as a consumer and still to this day, the whole thing with people listening to shit on Spotify and yeah. back in the day, people stealing music on right. Napster, they thought that was funny. I always yeah. thought like, fuck you. Yeah. Like, like, how dare you? Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, for people like us that... Every two that are, we were buying new records. And, but even just you, know, and just you and I both have a lot of friends who are artists and yeah. musicians. And you know they like the struggle this. that yeah. they go through and that it's not easy to put out yeah. your own record or yeah. put out your own book. So right. support at all costs. So, um, yeah, so the, the whole thing is it's been it hasn't been easy, but um, it's been it's been fun. Like I'm I'm proud of it and it hasn't made me rich or even anywhere near that but i haven't lost money and that's all i wanted to do going in is kind of present ideas the way i wanted them to be presented even when i was with random house i Mm -hmm. was kind of calling the shots in a way which was maybe a bit snotty and a bit ballsy of me to be telling random house this is how it's gonna go yeah um but i was like well like i'm just gonna regret it if i don't and maybe they'll just be like screw you i don't care what you think but honestly they actually let me uh and i wasn't like a dick about it i didn't walk into board meetings and be like here's the way this is gonna go you know i I said i think it would be better if and um because you should so the 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 random house thing was my first bigger book which is called check the technique volume one that was in 2007 yeah and it turned out really well like it wasn't a bad experience um i didn't ever work with a major publishing house after that yeah. for on purpose right. um, for a lot of different reasons, but it wasn't like, it wasn't because it was a bad experience. Yeah. They, I think I got kind of lucky and I, and I honestly believe that part of the reason why they listened to me is because they knew that I had self published a book and yeah. I had sold X number of those. Yeah. So I at least had some idea on how to do this yeah. and I wasn't yeah. just, um, making suggestions and making demands just to be a dick. Right, like yeah. I had a point of view and I mean, I always think it, it, you should be your own best customer, right. you know? So if I did a book about whatever the history of soap operas, or right. I wrote a book about architecture, I'd yeah. be completely out of my element and right. it would, it would be, it would suck. Yeah. So, you know, if, if you're writing something that you would yourself be the perfect con- customer for, yeah. people should listen to you. Yeah. So, uh, the check the technique book, um, goes through different records mm-hmm. similar to the, uh, rock Kim told me. Yeah. It's the and, same uh, format, you yeah. know, so each, each chapter was basically a, an album. Right. And I went at them, I call it invisible liner notes. So yeah. they were liner notes for, albums that never had liner notes but i always wish they had so this was me saying i'll well fine like kind of like everything else in my writing career like well i'll just do it myself like if no one's gonna if the artist isn't gonna do it and the label's not gonna do it then i'll just do it um and it's i mean it's been kind of interesting it's been like this weird 
self-fulfilling prophecy in a certain way with yeah. certain albums because then um, they'll be doing a reissue, some label, and they'll say, oh, can we use your yeah. invisible liner notes for oh, our notes. actual liner notes? Yeah. And it's like, yeah, that's, yeah, sure, that's great. For me, it's just, okay, right. that's found money, like, why <laughs> right. not? But, yeah, um, yeah so, so basically it's each one of those, starting with Rakim told me going through Check the Technique Volumes 1 and 2 is one album, one chapter, yeah. and one group. And it just kind of tells the story whether it's the artist's first album or fifth, it right. still goes back to the beginning mm -hmm. of their career and yeah. talks about the, the question I always love asking. And I ask in pretty much every interview, at least for the book is what were you like as a kid? Like what, how did you for just the same way, you know, you right. as like, right. tell me, I don't, I don't want you to give me some bullshit about your new album and right. how it's the dopest thing yeah, yeah. ever. It's right. like, I want to know like, who are you as How'd a person? You like, yeah. why did you, what made sense? How how does the way that you were when you were eight years old make sense to me knowing what the music you made when you were 18? Yeah. And honestly, a lot of those, a lot of the artists I talk to, they they love it because yeah. they'd never really been asked questions right. or certainly not for a long time because yeah. a lot of times you get artists, not just hip hop artists clearly, but um, you get them on their press tour right. and... Um, I you know, I'm not popular enough to do five interviews in a row in, right. a, in a two hour span. Yeah. Um, but it's, it's horrible. It yeah. sucks. Cause yeah, you're asking, you're answering the same shit same over and over. Yeah. I would say probably 75% of the time from stupid people Bro, who, yeah. um, yeah. just want your quote. Yeah. Don't actually care about you. Yeah. Don't really care that right. much about the album. Yeah. Just like, I got to write this article. Give me right. three quotes. Yeah. Um, so I think uh, artists appreciate when, when you do a deeper dive, exactly oh, yeah. what you're doing here on the yeah. podcast. Like that's why this whole era is kind of dope in that, yeah. um, first of all, people have a lot more control to yeah. do, do it the way they want it, but yeah. to dive deeper, because I think everyone, um, no matter who you are, wants yeah. to dive deep. Like you feel yeah. cheated in a way if you only get to talk to yeah. doing an interview for like five minutes is, right. it sucks. Yeah. It's like, yeah. It's kind of like, why did I even bother doing yeah. that? So, yeah. Um, yeah. So, so that's when I usually get people is away from their press tours yeah. when they don't have a lot of obligations right. or not doing a lot of interviews because yeah. that's how you really kind of get to dive a lot deeper. And, yeah. and that's really what those books are about. I mean, yeah. in the end, Check the Technique uh, volumes uh, and Rakim told me it's all completely dependent on how much time the artist, how much the artist gives a shit, yeah. you know? So I have instances where I still get a half hour and they don't give me much, but right. that's kind of rare. I mean, yeah. most of the artists I talk to yeah. um, really do want to do this. Yeah. They really do want to yeah. explore it um, more deeply. Yeah. And, you know, I'll have there's different artists right. who who will call me two days later right oh there's something i thought about i want to add and <laughs> right, that's right. like that's incredible like yeah, when that happens awesome, yeah. when you get them into that zone where they're tapping into yeah. you know sometimes Creativity, you're almost like yeah. a psychologist yeah you know tell Having me about your yeah. tell me about yeah. your mother you right know, so <laughs> um so so it's it's cool it, it, it's i like that and and you know some of the people i've interviewed yeah who I grew up idolizing as a fan yeah. have now become friends, yeah. which is something I would clearly never think would happen. Right. But um, 
but it's dope because because it's in the end it's really just um people people wanting to know about other people which yeah, is that's right. what friendship's based on yeah, it's yeah. not on this kind of a quick handshake yeah and, yeah hey what's up and see right. you later so so early on that must have been uh pretty surreal interviewing people like chuck d absolutely and, and i mean i getting to you know tap into their head for a little while and, no it, to me well that's the thing too is you i mean i've never really been they're probably whatever 10 five people who I would ever legitimately be starstruck by. Right, yeah. Um, and I think that's part of it. I mean, Chuck D is one of them. Right. Um, because Public Enemy is my, definitely my favorite hip hop group of all time. But yeah. um, but it's also interesting that, I, I mean, I don't know how many times I've interviewed Chuck at this point, five, yeah. six. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it, it's, it's, for me, it's clearly something that I never would have ever thought right. would happen. Yeah, yeah. Um, but it's kind of dope too because I feel like now, when I have an opportunity to interview Chuck D or Cool Keith or someone who I've interviewed many times before, yeah. that you're already um, have a huge leg up on anyone else who's going to yeah. interview them, or at least people who've only right. interviewed them for the first yeah. time, because you can skip over a lot of the bullshit. Yeah, they're comfortable and, with you. Yeah, it's yeah. kind of like, well, so we don't need to talk about right. that because we've already covered that, yeah. so let's dive really deep now. Yeah. Um, and that's, that's as a journalist, is incredible. Um, and, and it's funny, too. Like, sometimes, um, I mean, I'm not, like, tight, tight with any real big stars. Right. But, you know, local, say, local yeah. uh, hip-hop people, mm-hmm. it's interesting interviewing your friends. Yeah. You know, it's right. like, that feels weird. It's almost yeah. like interviewing, <laughs> you know, like, one of your siblings. Yeah. They just be like, right. screw you, shut <laughs> up, you dick. You know, right. like, so yeah. uh, that's another interesting trick yeah. is when you someone you just shoot the shit with and then right. all of a sudden it's like oh no, no no this is actually serious now man <laughs> right. so stop fucking around and um th- and that's cool too like because i think in the same way that I- i'm a huge photography fan so yeah. and especially music photography so someone like glenn friedman yeah. um the reason that he's a great photographer he was uh in the right place at the right time he muscled his way into places and into the front of stages and this and that. But finally, the most important thing, honestly, I I think the technical aspect is about 60% of it. And I think at least 20% that people normally don't account for is the personal connection. So when he's um, doing Black Flag um, or Suicidal Tendencies, like some of these groups he is friends with them. Yeah, yeah. So they let their guards down right. instantly. It's yeah. not the kind of thing where you have to warm up. Yeah, and that's when you get these incredible shots yeah. that no one else could get. Yeah. I mean, you also get things that like, the, there's one shot that I think is the one that's the, the silliest of, uh, that he ever did, which was the, I don't know if you've ever seen the shot of public enemy wearing the minor threat shirts. Yeah. Okay. What is that? Is that a public enemy shirt? Yeah. It's, it's uh, some guy made these. <laughs> but it looks so unnatural. Like, it, But it yeah. makes sense because he knew those guys. And that's kind of when it's taken a little bit too far, where it's like trying to crowbar something. That's pretty funny. Um, and it's not like it wasn't legit. It's not like they didn't like Minor Threat, but they're both wearing them. Yeah. It's kind of like your, your mom, like forcing you to wear the sweater that your grandma gave you for Christmas. Just take the picture so you can show them that you were wearing it. 
Anyways, that's that takes nothing away. That's just a minor yeah, yeah. Right. thing I always thought was funny, and it's still a good picture. But what it boils down to is um, the photographers who were part of the scene yeah. legitimately. Do, sometimes you, uh, like journalists, are kind of like don't want to get too close. Right. Like uh, what was. Uh, uh, almost famous, you know, it's like, don't oh, get yeah, too yeah. close to the artist because then you're going to be tainted. Yeah, right. I actually don't agree with that. I mean, um, I think that, that, that you can get a, an extra 10 layers of depth into right. something. I mean, you could do it in a way, I guess, if you're just kind of a society reporter or right. you're legitimately taking bribes <laughs> is obviously a whole different thing. But right. I think that when you're a photographer or an interviewer or whatever, that you, you really benefit from, uh, the trust that you can kind of build up yeah. with someone and uh, yeah it's it's dope I mean right. so so yeah so early on it was definitely trippy for me to interview some of these yeah. artists because they were my idols yeah. and but it was good too because you you would get off the phone and be you might not be like oh my god I was so <laughs> awesome you know right. but you'd be like well they didn't hang up on me yeah like I hung up on them right you know I said oh, okay so we're all right. set and yeah um so, so that was good. And I think that that's important as, yeah. as an interviewer yeah. and, uh, and a writer early on, yeah. it's important to get that confidence in the same way, whatever you're doing is yeah. in sports, et cetera, right. like that you get that out of the way and, um, you can kind of build on it yeah. and like then, okay, so next time I'm going to have that a little bit of extra confidence yeah. that. I'm not going to turn into Chris Farley. And, right. You know, you remember that time? Right. <laughs> uh, because that can happen too. I'm sure it'd be funny for me to listen. I have all my tapes, like right. of all the interviews I've ever done. Yeah. It would be very painful and, and funny for me to go back and listen to early, early an ones. interview I did in maybe like 96, yeah. because I'm sure I would have been like, what a dork. <laughs> like, how did they not hang right. up on me? You know? Um, right. But it's cool. I mean, yeah. I think the best thing, the biggest compliment I can get is an unspoken one, which is I usually the trick that any seasoned writer knows. If you want to get a deep interview, right. you say, I only need 20 minutes right. when you know you want an hour. Right, right. And if you get to an hour yeah. then you're like, all right, then that right. was a really dope interview because <laughs> yeah. they thought they were only getting in for 20 right. minutes. Yeah. If they were sick of it if they right. didn't care they would have said hey i gotta go yeah, yeah and then you course. say oh, fair enough i right. said 20 minutes yeah yeah so that's that's like a really nice compliment right. in, in a way yeah. that that you've uh kept them on the line yeah. you know and that, that you've engaged them enough that right. they they wanted to keep the conversation going because yeah. some of these guys i don't talk to a lot of the super highest realm of people but right. you know like i remember interviewing ice cube right and definitely thinking in my head what is his hourly rate? Like how right. much could you quantify, uh, quantify a 24 hour day for ice cube and right. how much money he makes per minute right. is probably more than I make, you know, in at least definitely a week, if not right. a, a year, who knows? Right. So, so I was very conscious of that and yeah. that I got an hour of his time yeah. was like, shit, like, okay. Yeah. He definitely had better things to do no matter right. what they were. Yeah. Um, and, and he chose to kind of use those with me at least for that time. So, yeah. um, yeah. So it's not about, oh, that was the dopest interview right. ever, but it's yeah. kind of like you're, uh, you're engaging people in a level, um, where it's friendly oh, yeah. and it, like a, a conversation and yeah. it's not an interview. Yeah. Like, so. And you must've, uh, then 
that probably opened up listening to these records completely. Because I know when I read, when I've read through your book, mm-hmm. then when I go back and listen to those records, it opens up. So, so actually totally. talking to these people must have uh, changed yeah. that a lot. Like, and it's you know. interesting too, you know, sometimes, um, like a, a good example is Slick Rick. So, yeah. you know, The Great Adventures of Slick Rick is definitely yeah. my top 10, yeah. like of all time. I, I'm sure I know word for word every every part of that album. Yeah. And talking to him, though, was interesting because as a fan, you think, oh, my God, they must have been like, this, how did they even come up with this and this and that? And Rick was very um, matter of fact about everything. Yeah. Said, ah, you know, we, we just made the song. And I was like, yeah, but wasn't there this like back and forth and you did like 20 takes? Right. He's like. No, I just did one. <laughs> so sometimes right. it's kind of funny where yeah. um, it's a, like a sobering thing, I guess, as a fan that um, some artists are just that talented that yeah. they don't have to work. They don't have to do 20 takes. They right. just do one or two and they're like, yeah, I'm good. Yeah, uh, That's that's kind of fascinating. That yeah. certainly makes you look at it very differently. But yeah, I mean, I think um, that's always been my approach is knowing more about the process that went into um, an album being made, knowing more about the artist Mm. themselves as a person beyond being an artist can never hurt the way you think it it can only increase. Yeah, of course. Unless you find out that they're a complete asshole, then that's a whole different thing. Um, And I have found that out, but I think pretty rarely. Um, And, and that's the one thing that that's always been, been like uh gratifying to me because like i think i think in a way too and i think the sometimes the me being able to get time with some of these people and certainly to do a second interview at some point speaks to the fact that um a lot of times i think people do approach and it's easy to do people who approach people who are larger than life and they've yeah. seen the videos and they yeah. see them in a crowd with there's 20,000 people to right. show. But if you just still have a conversation with them, yeah. like they're your neighbor, they appreciate that yeah, because they're used to being treated like these gods, yeah. but they're just like, I mean, yeah. you know, I go to the grocery store too. Like <laughs> yeah. I get my oil changed, you know? Yeah. So, um, so I think a lot of people appreciate that yeah. on, on a certain level. Like yeah. they don't want to have, there's plenty of people to kiss their ass if right. they want that. Yeah. So like if, if you don't do that, I think it's certainly um, if, if you just ask them very conversational questions yeah. and that they everyone, every artist wants to yeah. be on that level versus, oh, my God, you're so great. Aren't you so awesome? Oh, right. my God, you are yeah. like incredible <laughs> that it's ridiculous. Yeah. So so that's not a way to if you have. Um, a conversation that's that uneven, it's never yeah. going to be a, a, a fruitful one really. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, so, so that's, that's what I also tell kind of young writers if they ask for any advice, it's yeah. definitely, it's, you should be respectful. Right. You shouldn't be like, uh, I don't <laughs> care, you know, who cares right. who you are, but you also shouldn't kiss their ass yeah. too much because then you're just not really going to get anything done. Yeah. Um, and honestly, they get that all the time. Yeah. So it's not that interesting For to them. certain people. I right. mean, it's different if you're coming up. Right. Um, but really what they want to know is um, in, in the same respect that if someone comes up to me and is talking about one of my books is just like, yeah, I really enjoyed it. You know, and I go back to it often yeah. or 
this helped me through a tough time in my life. No one yeah. says that to me. Right. <laughs> but if you're an artist <laughs> right. who is making music that's very yeah. emotional, et cetera, that, right. that I think probably means the most to them yeah. is, is knowing that people go back to their work. Yes. Uh, the stuff that they've produced o- over years, you know, yeah. and it's always the, the source of whatever it is, inspiration yeah. or, uh, you know, it consoles them somehow or whatever. Yeah. Yeah, and you you managed to to hit that balance between being like a big fan of these artists without. Yeah, I, I hope so. so. I mean, because yeah. at the end, I am a fanboy. Right. You know, it's like, yeah. um, and and I certainly they know that. Yeah. But yeah. I try not to make yeah, that the main crux of our relationship. Yeah. Is like, oh my god, you're so <laughs> awesome. Uh, yeah. Have there been uh, so there must have been challenging ones like tracking some people down to talk to for some of these articles or. People oh, that yeah. just were kind of cold and didn't really feel like uh, that kind yeah, of thing. Yeah, I mean, um, I would say very few of them. Are, I've had very few bad experiences. Yeah. Um, uh, once I got someone on the phone, yeah. I, I think, and I'm not going to say who that right. was, just, yeah. you know, because yeah, it yeah. doesn't matter. Because yeah. honestly, it's such a small percentage. Right. Um, very Frequently, it's it's hard to get somebody on yeah. the phone. Right. Um for various reasons, right. because artists, and certainly not just hip hop artists, but artists tend to be on their own clock, and yeah. they yeah, yeah. tend to have their head in the clouds, right. and and doing business is not something. Right. Keeping in mind that there is a reason that people do have press days, because yeah. if you're trying to get, I don't know, Ghostface Killer. Yeah. then you're probably going to have a much better bet getting him on a press day when he's trapped in a hotel room by day. his publicist right. than if you're like, hey, can you call me Tuesday at like right. 3 o'clock? Yeah, of course. Then that will end up turning into Wednesday at 4. Right. And yeah. Um, so, yeah. So then you get into a, the Wu-Tang Clan are, are a good example of yeah. like that, except for RZA. Yeah. I, I mean, certain guys in, the, in Wu-Tang, but generally you get into this thing where... Um, yeah, they get out of their element. They're they can be structured, but it's a weird structure. You know yeah. what I mean? Like, the structure is, I go to the recording studio every night at 10 p.m. and yeah. I go to bed at 6 right. a.m. Yeah. Um, so if you're not willing to fit within that structure, <laughs> it can be tricky. So yeah, so I would say um, even and honestly, even with people who I know yeah. and I would consider a low level friend yeah. um, from their standpoint, I'm low level on their friends list, right. but um, even that's hard. I mean, I can, there's one artist right now yeah. that is not even, I'm not even trying to interview him. I just had this question yeah. and he's got a cell phone clearly. And it's like, just text me back. I just need to know, is it a yes or no? Right. And even that's hard. So right. it just, it just totally depends, but yeah. they're all have their own, each interview, each chapter has its own weird journey to yeah, it. Um, right. And yeah, it's, you know, it's it's not fun all right. the time. Like putting together these books is like yeah. the most insane yeah, uh, puzzle you've ever seen. And yeah. you're halfway done with the puzzle and all the pieces are on the table and someone comes by with a sledgehammer and smashes right. everything and everything goes <laughs> not only, you know, across the table, but into the other room. And you're just like, oh, my God. Right. So. So that's the thing that that's tricky. And um, I try not to I definitely don't linger on chapters and artists that I haven't been able to get, because if there's something if there's an artist um, that fans of the books, if if they haven't been in there, there's a reason. Yeah. 
So there's a reason why I haven't done Nas right. or Queen Latifah or something like that. Right. Um, and it's not because of my lack of trying. Right. And it's not because they're an asshole. It's yeah. just a lot of time. The bigger artists definitely surround themselves with this whole army of people who are being paid to keep me away from right. them. That yeah. if I'm not from, <laughs> you know, the Today Show right. or Entertainment Weekly, then what the hell, how, right. what is that going to do? Yeah. So, so then you have to go through a whole different process of, I honestly, and this is the beautiful irony of all of it, is I'm a publicist as right. my, you know, the way I actually make money. Right. I hate dealing with publicists. Yeah. Not because I don't respect what publicity is, but if you get to a level and you're the publicist for a superstar, um, I'm the last person you want to, because it's not, um, for them, it doesn't look good, uh, from a report they're giving monthly the, Oh, you know, Will Smith did this interview for a book that's going to come out in a year and a half and will probably, you know, not sell anywhere near as many copies as you might hope it would. (laughs) So that doesn't really help them. And I, I understand the angles and I don't get upset by it. So, yeah, so, so so they're all kind of varying degrees of difficult, but yeah. once you get them on the phone, right. I've very mm-hmm. rarely had an issue. Yeah, um, you know, but sometimes it takes it's the, on the fourth try that right. is is when it actually happens, or even more. So you, yeah. when I do these books, you have to be in the zone. So so you're it's it's like if if you have kids, right. like what you want to happen on a Saturday afternoon is not what's going to right. happen. It's yeah. whatever birthday party is out right. there and whatever sickness they <laughs> are going to be getting right. from being in school and blah, yeah. blah, blah. So right. you don't matter. <laughs> so you yeah, have to yeah. kind of put yourself in that zone. Okay. My ego does not matter here right. at all. So you have to say not, I need to interview Snoop Dogg on Tuesday at four o'clock, right. but <laughs> you tell me when is he available in the next right. month? I will make myself available. Right. If it's three in the morning, I'll yeah. do it. So yeah. if you're not willing to do that, you're not going to get a book. Right. Like my books are 500 plus pages long right. and it's a lot of shit in there. But, yeah. and I think that speaks to the fact that I'm tenacious and persistent, yeah. but also that artists do like to kind of talk about all this yeah. stuff. Yeah. Um, and so these, these books to celebrate sort of the art of, at least to me, the LP and the record, yeah. which... Do you think that, like in hip hop now, that's just not really a, a thing at this? Point? I mean, there's artists making records. Yeah, but the, yeah, the... I don't know. Well, like, so it, it's a really good question, and I would say generally, well, in 2018, it's actually very difficult for me to answer the question: Do you like hip hop? Right. Um, I would say most of the stuff that comes out is not only bad, but is just. Yeah. garbage yeah. like a Lil Yachty and right. yeah. I, I don't even I can't even comprehend it <laughs> on a level of me so so it certainly works against you to have any kind of historical knowledge right. of yeah. of the hip-hop genre right. um, with a lot of this stuff that being said um, back in 1997 I could also say yeah, a lot of that pop stuff I think sucks. Right. So I listened to Company Flow and Black Star right. and whatever. So uh, hip hop is a big enough house and a big enough tent or whatever metaphor you want that there's always going to be plenty to find. So I think there's still a lot of artists, um, almost all indie artists, yeah. but who do care about albums yeah. and they grew up on them. 
There was one trend that I think was particularly bad um, that happened in the like early 2000s, late 90s, where um, artists started to be like, oh, wow, so we could do like 23 songs and fit them all on a CD. Oh, yeah. And it's like, no, dude, just because you can do 23 songs does not mean you should do 23 songs. So um, that was bad. And that even happened with indie people that... Double um, albums. Yeah, people would do records. And you're just like, oh, why did you do 18 tracks, dude? Couldn't you just... I mean, 10. Like, what? what's wrong with 10? Yeah. You know, 10 of the best ones, you know. Um, because if you're doing an album every year, yeah. it shouldn't be 18 right. tracks. Like <laughs> yeah, of course. that should be your album if you haven't put one out for five or 10 right. years. Yeah. Anyway, so so I think that, that now that CDs aren't really a thing anymore, which yeah. I couldn't be happier about, yeah. um, I think some artists, indie artists, um, are kind of not feeling that pressure to fill yeah. every second in a CD. Yeah, yeah. And they're like, yeah, I'll do... Maybe I'll do an EP or yeah. maybe I'll just worry about a couple good songs. Yeah. So in a weird way, the iTunification of, of the world um, makes it back to the early 80s where it's like, oh, I can just put out a 12 inch yeah. and maybe I'll put out an album. It'd be right. nice, but let me just put out a song or two. Yeah. Whereas everyone could put out um, an album right. in the 90s and 2000s yeah. and everyone was. Yeah. So, yeah, so, so I think... There are, I don't um, worry myself about the state of hip hop because right. I think there's always going to be so many good indie artists yeah. that don't give a shit about the status quo and right. what a lot of these all these kids with yarn in their hair are doing. Right. But um, so so I don't worry about it. Yeah. But but I think um, if anything, the fact that the CDs are I think what really killed um, and 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 I think kind of a random shuffle play and uh certainly itunes kind of mess things up right um but i think there are people who still in rock and 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 hip-hop and all kinds of that that they they do still focus on albums um yeah because there's still good albums coming out you know so that's good yeah um but that that was i think my main thing was like the whole i don't know I can't, I don't know what the max, I mean, and of course there's skits in there, but yeah. you know, it's like 25 right. tracks. Like, come on, dude, right. w- what in the fuck are you doing? Why would you do that? And I don't yeah. think rock suffered from that as much, no, but no. you know, you get some red man album from like the early two thousands. like, nah, dude, yeah. like I love you, but right. no, nah, I don't love you. 22 tracks. Yeah. yeah. N- enough. That's not, that's not right. Yeah. And I think it was most, a lot of times some of these artists, especially on majors, yeah, they just don't seem to have anyone in their orbit just yeah. telling them like, not what are you doing? Right. Like why? Yeah. yeah, friends. Like can't don't they have friends right. who be like, dude, stop, come yeah. on, know, ten right. tracks, twelve. Yeah. I dare you, I red man. I dare you to do ten tracks. <laughs> you know, I know, right? See if you can impress me with ten tracks. Like that would be a beautiful thing for a friend to do. Yeah, um, you know, and that's not to shit on red man. I right. love red man, but yeah. some any artist. Yeah. I can't think of that many artists that I could listen to yeah. 22 new tracks. Yeah. That's just crazy. So so for you, the, the what would you consider the golden age of hip-hop, for at least for you? Yeah, I mean, it's clearly very subjective. Yeah. And clearly, this is the... So it's interesting, because I have friends who um, 
were kind of the generation after me. And yeah. to them, you know, the, the mid nineties, late nineties, yeah. I could never really get like the whole diplomats and like, really? Uh, because I just came from the era before that where, right. you know, it was more about, and clearly there were exceptions, but it was about skill and it was about, um, competition. And yeah. it was about this one upmanship where the, 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 two or three generations after my golden age, which to answer your question, I would say was about 87 to 91. Yeah. That's kind of my sweet spot. Yeah. Um, and I can say that because I was there right. and because I've seen all the stuff that's come out after that yeah. end of that era, you know, right. not before it, but before it clearly there wasn't really a, an album part of hip hop. It yeah. was there, right. but even the early Run DMC albums were right. half dope, yeah. incredible shit, and half filler. Yeah. So, because it wasn't an album art form, right. it was Curtis Blow put out albums, yeah. but it was really singles yeah. with some you know other stuff in there. Yeah. Um, until you got to eighty seven, eighty eight, yeah. it wasn't like wow, that's a dope tape. Like yeah. this is all the way through is incredible. Yeah. You know, Ice T and Boogie Down Productions and Public oh, yeah. Enemy. So yeah, so I would say that. I mean, and I think. I understand why it's always going to be, you know, yeah. whatever, yeah. where you lost your virginity when, right. like that's kind of <laughs> yeah. where your, uh, yeah. your, your it's sweet spot's going to yeah. be. Yeah. Whatever and, your age is. And, 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 but I will say that I feel bad for people who came of age in listening to hip hop in the early 2000s, yeah. um, because that was not a golden era. Yeah. And if anyone says that, right. I would say that you're too young to be able right. to. Yeah. And people will be like, fuck him, man. What's he talking about? He's right. just an old man. It's like, yeah. But I was there. Like, I remember yeah. <clears throat> when it happened. And, yeah. and, and the thing I would say, too, besides, obviously, everyone has their own opinion yeah. about it, is um, I still, the one thing I can say is that um, even though I'm an old man and I'm 48, I still listen to stuff and I enjoy it as much the stuff I was listening to when I was 15 yeah. and not in an old fogey kind of way. Like it still yeah. energizes me and, yeah. you know, makes me want to like punch it. And, and that's great. Like yeah. I've always kept, um, my earliest demand of music, which was just to shake me up to right. kind of, um, energize me to make, you know, the hair on your yeah. arm stand up. Yeah. And so it's not like, I'm now listening to smooth jazz right. and like that stuff just gives me a headache when right. I listen to it. Yeah. Like I still demand the same thing out of yeah. music as I did. And yeah. I love to hear new stuff yeah. that excites me. Yeah. Like I want to hear that. I don't hear it very often these yeah. days in part because I've just heard enough that it takes a lot as you or me or yeah. any of our friends, yeah. it takes a lot to impress yeah. you to hear new stuff. Yeah. But when you do get excited about oh, yeah, something, it, like that says something, yeah. you know? It's, rare. So. it's funny too, because a few years ago, I worked a job in a warehouse with a bunch of kids in their 20s. Yeah. And I remember I, we had a radio and I put Paul's Boutique on yeah. and just watching their faces and just me hearing it and sort of getting inside them. I'm like, I can tell that they're like, what in the fuck? This is the worst fucking. And I could kind of tell, like, it sounded like shit. They to them. didn't like it. They didn't like it. Yeah. yeah. And they were, you know, they were pretty open-minded kids with some stuff. So I kind of it's weird to think that that would alienate people or 
It's just interesting. Sound. It sounded it, like I could hear it sounding dated to them. You yeah. know what I mean? It's weird though. So, because like what I would say to that is for me, when I listen to something, the best thing I can. I can have happen to me is to be perplexed because yeah. me personally, that means I'm like, I have to solve this equation. Like yeah. what the fuck is this? Right. And what's the context of so it's out of context. I mean, and so I guess to be fair, if I listen to little dipshit or whoever all these people are, right. I should maybe want to figure it out. But I really truly don't believe there's much to figure out. Right. I don't yeah. think yeah. I'm missing anything. Yeah, I think yeah. that, it's exactly what it seems, which yeah. is some kid who doesn't actually give a shit right. about the art form yeah. and is just, yeah, yeah. Um, you know, I think the the worst thing is even not even some of these young hip hop people uh, lyrically, which lyrically they're also not saying anything, right. but music the music is just total garbage. Yeah. Yeah. It's so unimaginative and clearly, you know, the sampling thing and getting sued and right. and worrying about samples blah 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 that's yeah. that's a legitimate thing yeah that's not an excuse because right. there's a lot of people who make great music yeah. in the mid 90s onwards yeah. um who didn't sample or who sampled in such a way that it wasn't even discernible yeah. um so you don't get a pass for yeah. being like oh you know well i have to use a keyboard and just right one finger and like two notes. It's <laughs> right. like, no, you're just lazy and stupid. Yeah. So um, that's kind of all I ask as yeah. a fan is like, just try. Yeah. yeah it's <laughs> just try to do something different and try and be better <laughs> right. than someone else. And I definitely, I guarantee you that, you know, when little dipshit goes into the studio, it's yeah. not, I'm going to make the dopest record right. ever. It's just like, I'm going to get paid. Like, right. let me figure out how to do this. Yeah. And, and I think that that, Clearly, there's tons of indie artists who don't have that problem, right. who don't think that way, and yeah, that's great. And yeah. I love that, and yeah. that's why I don't ever worry about hip hop specifically yeah. because right. there's always going to be this underground, yeah, that world um, that wants to push things and wants to do interesting things. But um, yeah, so so it's hard when you, you whatever, like you're at a cocktail party right. and you meet someone and they're like, oh, you write about hip hop, like <laughs> you like hip hop, and it's kind of like do I even want to engage this right. person because I don't have time to say, yeah. well, here's the deal. So right. I like, <laughs> you know, I love Adrian Young and some of the work that he does, but, right. uh, you know, I don't like the popular stuff because right. it's not, in, in a, you know, cause they don't, how are you going to explain right. that to someone who doesn't, if you don't know anything about hip hop right now, yeah. then you're There's willfully no starting point. To well, you're that. just willfully ignorant. Right. Like you can't say, Oh, I don't know how to even find out about it. It's <laughs> right, like, right. you don't like it and that's yeah. fine, but yeah. I'm not here to explain it to you. Like yeah, go online, right. go on YouTube. Yeah, I know. <laughs> it's not my job because yeah, that's the thing about my books too, is I think the one thing you would agree, whether you notice that as you're checking it out yeah. or whether when I say this, you'll be like, Oh yeah, is I don't write my books for beginners. Oh, like you have to know, yeah, yeah. you have to know yeah. a little bit about hip hop before yeah. diving in or you're yeah. going to be lost. Like you're in the deep end yeah. once you jump into any of my chapters yeah. and I make no excuses for that. Like yeah. I'm not here to explain hip hop to right. you. I'm here to give you a chance to understand these artists in a much deeper way. Yeah. So I'm, you know, not 101 right. in the class. I'm yeah, 303 and yeah, maybe yeah. even, you know, a graduate level <laughs> yeah. kind of class. Yeah. And that's good because yeah. if you if you want someone else, someone to explain it to right. you, then you can go to, there's yeah. plenty of other right. 
people who can explain that to you, yeah. and I'm not going to waste time doing yeah. that. No, I, I think, and that's what attracted me to, to the books. Yeah, stuff like and I appreciate that because then fans and well, but that's the thing is like that. That's I want to be um, when I read a book. Yeah. I, I don't want to be talked down to. Right, you right. Know? So it's yeah. not like yeah, it's like another friend of mine that's into hip hop going, hey, yeah, look at I found out. Look at what so and so told me. How you know? Yeah, and so. in this day and age, you don't. That's the whole thing. Like I met, so I won't say who it is, but I met someone who's like a rock person. Yeah. And actually a pretty well-known rock yeah. um, media person. Let me just okay. say that. Yeah. And this is literally a year or two ago. And they were yeah. like, well, yeah, I just don't know anything about hip hop. And I'm like, well, you're a fucking asshole. Right. Like you're, <laughs> right. Uh, you sound like you want to know more about it, right. but you really don't. Right. So, um, like, tell me about it right like looking at me in the oh. eye and i'm like and i literally said right. i was like no yeah right <laughs> like i'm not that dude yeah you find someone else to do that for yeah. you because yeah. you're just not trying like yeah. it'd be different in 1983 right if you were a rock a white rock right. dude yeah Where and you find... grew up in concord mass right and you're like i don't know much about cool herc then i'll right. be like that's fair that's right. completely i understand <laughs> right you don't know about cool herc yeah and if i know something about cool herc yeah let me tell you more about him yeah um but now it's like nah, yeah I'm yeah not, I'm especially not if you're dude. in entertainment in this this year i just thought it was hilarious yeah and uh but 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 that happens a lot and yeah. it's fine so the thing that pissed me off was not um was not that they didn't know about it but they pretended like right. they wanted to know but as yeah. if they weren't able to yeah and i was yeah, just yeah, like come on dude yeah the other the other thing i think is going in hip-hop too with a, like a lot of the newer stuff is uh turntablism and djs are just it's sort gone of thing away of the past like i remember yeah thinking that you know that was always you know it's one of the elements of hip-hop and that was You're one of my favorite things in, yeah. in records is you know obviously the the mcs but that was like the other part. A hundred percent. A hundred percent. I mean, it, it's, it's still, but yet again, it's still in a lot of indie stuff. Yeah, the, of the DJ is yeah. still important. Um, yeah. It's trickier because a lot of DJs became producers. That's yeah. all I you know, almost every producer in hip hop is a DJ. Yeah. Maybe not now, but yeah. back from the late nineties moving yeah. backwards from that, because that made sense. You were yeah. the guy who played the records. And right. so you knew what I could sample yeah. and this and that. Um, yeah, it's, it's interesting because like, for example, uh, Jazzy Jeff, um, still tours the world, uh, all literally all year long and not just a couple dates here and there. He probably does 150 dates a year in like Vietnam and, you know, Saudi Arabia and, and all this stuff. So, so there is, there is a demand and people still, there's nothing you can, um, there's no way you can replace what it, what it's like if you're inclined mm-hmm. to enjoy that yeah. and seeing a DJ perform live. You can't approximate it. Yeah. I mean, then there's different levels of that too. So I have friends who are DJs who only DJ not only vinyl, but right. 45s. Yeah. You know, so that's like a whole, oh right. my God, that's people who <laughs> yeah. don't DJ don't really understand how difficult it is to be yeah. a 45 oh, DJ. Uh, yeah. It's that's like being a, you know, like a tightrope walker or yeah. something like that. It's very different and I can't do it. I'm not a very good DJ. Yeah. Um, I'm more of a radio DJ, but right. um, 
Yeah, I'd be terrified to do like a 45 set <laughs> oh, yeah. in front of a live yeah. group of people and being paid for it. I'd be like, you know? oh, man, I know I'm going to fuck up. Yeah. Um, yeah. So so I think that yet again, I think there's this whole um, since the mid 90s, there's been this um, level of like the the, the stars, the right. major label people. Yeah. And so as far as those people are. Um, yes, DJs yeah. definitely don't exist. Yeah. Whereas before, I mean, one of my, the, 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 the saddest eras, but also the most amusing eras to me were the, as I used to call them, like the invisible DJs. So you'd have like, you know, Lincoln Park, you know, oh, yeah. you know oh, or yeah. like Limp Biscuit had a yeah. DJ and you're just like, and actually There's Limp Biscuit, DJ, DJ right. Lethal, but DJ lethal, yeah. you know, they'd have them like, right. You know, like <laughs> you're listening, you're craning, you're like, I don't hear it. I'm not hearing any DJing going on here. Yeah. Um, so there was that thing where it was, you were a prop, you were, yeah. uh, you know, like a backup dancer. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, so it is, it is too bad that a lot of that doesn't exist on, yeah. on record anymore. Yeah. Um, but I think that's also just where hip hop is just evolving, yeah. you know, but, um, it's still there and it's right. out there in the world, um, on a lower level yeah. or on a jazzy Jeff level yeah. or, you know, look, uh, you could also argue, certainly beyond hip hop, that yeah. DJing's never been bigger with right. all these, you know, EDM dipshits yeah, yeah. and right. like, you know, and are yeah. they DJing? They're right. pressing buttons, blah blah blah. Right. Um, who knows? That yeah. that's an infinite right. argument that can yeah. happen. But I think in any kind of music, the thing that 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 I don't get down about in hip hop or or beyond is, um, if you want to find it, it's out there. Yeah. So. Now you have no excuse. Yeah, um, if you want to see it live, or certainly if you want to hear it, the internet has expanded oh, yeah. everything. Yeah. I just found something yesterday. I posted it on Facebook. There's like a whole movement within like death metal of this like anti-Nazi thing, and I'm like, yeah. that makes sense, and yeah. that's that's fucking great. Yeah. Shit. Okay, yeah. I'll take all of it. Like line <laughs> it up, and I'll buy all of it. So, yeah. um, but I didn't even think about like, oh, maybe right. there's a subgenre of. Right cookie monster shit that's all screaming about you know Nazis. how all right-wing people are evil and it's like yeah. yeah i can get down with that yeah um so that's kind of the crazy thing is that it's always out there but yeah. and djing is one of the most accessible things if you yeah. do want to get that yeah, fix so you can get it yeah. but i agree a hundred percent that on record yeah um it has for the most part um certainly been put to the the um the back burner. Yeah. Um, but they're still like, you know, Rob Swift and Qbert, you know, yeah. I just saw Qbert post a video yeah. yesterday. Of, yeah. Um, so they're still, and Qbert's as forward thinking as he ever has been. Yeah. He constantly is thinking of different ways to DJ. Yeah. And just when you think that you can't find another right. way to do a scratch, like he does that. So yeah. um, that's, that, that makes me glad that, yeah, yeah it, it's too bad. It's not prevalent. Um, yeah. But it's always there. You can yeah. always find it. Yeah. That, and I, I've noticed too, uh, I wonder what you think of why this is, but uh, groups in hip hop aren't really a thing anymore. It's more of just sort of solo artists. Yeah. Like, can't really think of, you know. Um, it's duos. interesting. There's a lot of duos. Like, well, Outkast is. Yeah. Solos. No, there, there are. It's mostly solo artists. Yeah. yeah I don't know. Because, well, because I guess that's a generational thing. Like, yeah. you just. It's harder to have. I often say so. One of my favorite chapters mm. in any of my books is the Wu Tang Clan chapter. Yeah. Um, not f for the reason of, and this is actually for me being a super 
overthink everything nerd when I think of all this stuff. But the thing that most people don't really understand about the Wu-Tang Clan that I didn't understand either before I kind of did more of these interviews and research is I'm not sure if people can really imagine how difficult it would have been in 1992 um, for RZA to convince eight other people who were all broke as shit, could, you know, desperate to to make it and get money and da-da-da-da-da, as any young artist is in any genre. Um, Here's the thing. So we're going to be in this huge ass group and this pie is going to be sliced, you know, eight or nine different ways. Right. Um, so you're not going to make much. Right. And we're going to make this album and we're not going to get paid that much up front. Yeah. But uh, my plan is in five years that all of you are going to make a lot of money yeah. as solo artists because I'm using this. So anyways, right. it's like he had this plan legitimate and yeah. it's not just Rizzo telling me this. It's Steve Rifkin um, from Loud yeah. said the same exact thing is he had this five year plan yeah. and it came true. Yeah. So, but he was able to convince hip hop, everyone's uh, competing against each other. I'm sure fighting with each other. Oh, yeah. Who's going to be on this song? Who's right. going to be on this track? Um, and he did it. He did it. He, he did the first Wu-Tang album. Yeah. It wasn't a large advance. Yeah. It blew the fuck up. And then he started peeling them all off as solo artists. Yeah. Now, Riz is also a genius because he was also uh, part of the management team and was producing them. Yeah. So he's making all the money off yeah. this, including the artists. But Method Man, uh, they, they all started peeling off ODB. Yeah. Um, and they all made money on their yeah. own. Yeah. And then they get back. So so when you, it doesn't really make you uh, enjoy Protect Your Neck anymore. Right. <laughs> right, right. Think of getting super nerdy about it. Yeah. But... It certainly makes you appreciate the vision and yeah. how difficult that not only the vision but the the persona, like the 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 gravitas you would have to have to convince a bunch yeah. of starving dudes yeah. competing against each other to be the dopest. Yeah. And say, look, if we're better as a group, then I promise you yeah. you're gonna get rich as a solo artist. Like yeah. it I don't know if you could do it now. <laughs> I, I mean I I don't know. Honestly, how you would how you did it back then, yeah. Um, but he did it, so so that gives me an extra appreciation. But yeah, I mean, I guess it's just it's like a generational yeah. thing, you know. Yeah. So I think, um, uh, what the hell is uh, Odd Future? You know, yeah. like so, but Odd like Future aren't really a group anymore. Right. So yeah. um, that's a it's a good question. I mean, yeah, there aren't as many groups. Yeah. Um, partially too, because I think that you don't really see strength in numbers like yeah. as an advantage anymore because right. you can make a record in your bedroom right. with a keyboard yeah. uh, for almost no money and maybe yeah. you're just making it all off your computer yeah. for free apps. Right. So why the fuck would I sh- sh- yeah. split this five ways? Yeah. Like, that doesn't yeah, make any true. sense. And I can sell it on iTunes right. and I can make all the money. Why would I split it five ways? Like yeah. they don't see the strength in numbers, but you know, the roots are still around. They're yeah. still doing it. So, so, but you're right it, for sure that yeah. it is a generational yeah. thing that it's not, um, I definitely think artists coming up, if you're 17 years old right now, your yeah. goal is not to get in a group. Right. Yeah, of course. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, why would I do that? Why yeah. would I share yeah. my shit? <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, so. So anyways, yeah. yeah. So, so I, that's legit. Cool. <laughs> 
Um, so I want to get into your new book, but mm-hmm. I was going to ask you uh, one more thing. Were you going to? Uh, would there be a third uh, volume of the check? I don't know. I don't think I'm. Yeah. I, I'm no rush and yeah. don't have any real desire to do yeah. another. Um, as I said, you know, earlier in the interview, I definitely get bored yeah. easily, and I don't like repeating myself. I'm yeah. kind of surprised I did a volume two, to be yeah. honest with you. Right. But I did feel like there were some uh, some chapters that I could get done that I hadn't that yeah. I still <clears throat> wanted to do before I died. So um, I was like, and I and sometimes too, it happens where it's like, you know. Um, the position where I'm at right now in my yeah. career and the, the the gigs that I have is like I could do this if I really focused for three months I could pound this out yeah um, and it takes longer than that obviously right. but but for example so yeah no I don't think yeah I could yeah uh, but it's not a goal of mine I feel like I've done plenty yeah and I'm proud of the body of work and um, yeah so who knows if cool. some yeah. someone wants to offer me a bunch right. of money to do volume three which they will not right. then sure but uh it, it's good too because i think a lot of um there's a lot of work being done in that same zone now too which mm-hmm. also makes me want to do it less um with all these people right. doing these long online pieces and these kind of you know podcasts specific yeah. that do that kind of thing it's yeah. kind of like mm, yeah like i not like I'm better than them, but it's kind of like there are other people doing right, it. Right. What my, my career, if you really look at it under a microscope, is I look for something that people aren't really doing. Yeah. Um, not necessarily that they've never done, but right. something that's very unsexy in right. the marketplace. <laughs> and I go for that. You yeah. know, I don't go for whatever's hot. Right. Um, and I do that. And then I... Uh, find some other kind of way to go yeah. that 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 is yet uh, relatively unexplored yeah. and then I go in that direction yeah. which I suppose leads us into <laughs> buy me Boston yeah. a little bit but yeah let's talk about buy me Boston okay this uh, book came about so that that's my new one which is pretty much just out um, it's called buy me Boston um, local ads and flyers uh, 1960s through 1980s mm-hmm. volume one. It says, usually I don't put volume right. on the cover, but I've always envisioned this as a multi-volume yeah. thing. Yeah. Um, so what it is, is a bunch of advertisements, um, all Boston stuff, or at just that, the, the area. So yeah. it's not just Boston right. proper, but yeah. um, it's not like New Hampshire right. and Rhode Island. So, uh, and it's basically, I mean, I think the easiest way to describe it is it's all ads and flyers and posters. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of um, reconstructing a city that doesn't exist anymore, yeah. um, being Boston in the, the late 20th century, yeah. um, but purely through the advertisements, yeah. um, not through photos, right. not through articles that have been written, which yeah. was another way I could have gone. Because yeah. um, so I kind of took it as a challenge. Um Usually people don't pay attention to ads. They're kind of, they're annoying if they're on TV. Uh, I've always paid attention. I love ads. I love commercials. I love print ads. And I always have. But most people consider them to be annoying, distractions, or purely utilitarian. What's the address of that club? Who's playing Saturday? Not, oh, that's really really well done. Or look at that cool drawing. People don't generally do that. Yeah. so, so I had access to these amazing archives, um, 
chiefly David Biebers and Kay Bourne, um, who were Boston um, archivists, historians, um, journalists, media people, uh, who had just saved a bunch of stuff. Uh, So you've been to David Bieber's archives, so you know the vastness of it. Yeah, it's crazy. And so it's basically just, it's not comprehensive. Yeah. And because it would have been impossible unless it was a 7,000 page book. So I didn't worry about that. I just said, let's make it a breezy. um, Honestly, it's not even chronological. It's not alphabetical. It's complete stream of consciousness. Um, But I kind of like that too, because that's what I like about it. Yeah. When I first got it, I was like, oh, these aren't real. But then I think it just, it makes it better. Cause then you're like, oh, what's on the next page? Leech me. Yeah. like flying for the wrecking crew that it, you know. Yeah, so, so I think I kind of like that cuz I think it, it it you know, I've done books before. I've done them along thematic lines. I've done yeah. them chronological or alphabetical or whatever. Yeah. And I just said what if I just literally put the shit in a blender right. and it's all there. Mm-hmm. Um but what if you didn't know what was next? Because yeah. honestly in a, in a newspaper you don't know what's next. Yeah. Um so that made actually a lot of sense. And so I kind of just took that approach and it was, it was, it, it was a lot of work. I mean, but it was mostly scanning. It wasn't writing. It wasn't interviewing. Um, all of these ads are presented with, with all, pretty much zero context. Yeah. It says the date and right. where I got it, yeah. but it doesn't say, uh, night stage was a club in central right. square on yeah. main street. And, and this band played there and blah blah yeah. and the stage was on the right. back of the cl- you know so it skipped over all of that because really what i wanted to do is either if you grew up in that era yeah bring you back to that era yeah and if you didn't make you want to know more about it right and honestly encourage you to do that on your own yeah like yet again i'm yeah. not gonna sit down and either say, okay, like here's a lesson for the day. Right. Yeah. If you want to know about the, the rat, book, right. I get, yeah, I, you could say that for yeah. sure. And yeah. so it's like, if you want to know about the rat, you can do that right. in lots of ways yeah. online. So right. I'm giving you a specific um, approach. So, for instance, the one thing I like about the book is because it's literally a 30 year span, yeah. I have in there the opening night of the Rathskeller, yeah. you know, which is when it, it was always a, a venue, yeah. um, but it was kind of now it's the Rathskeller and right. we have a, I don't even know what it was called. It was like Joe's Kitchen maybe, you know, so it had a kitchen right. that eventually yeah. of course became the yeah. Hoodoo Barbecue. Right. But this was like opening night, 1974. Yeah. This is, the rat became known as the CBGBs of Boston, yeah. the punk place that are, yeah. whoop. And it wasn't when right. it started, and yeah. that proves it. Yeah. So it's kind of like, um, hopefully you look at that, and yeah. maybe you went to the Rat in '87, right? But you're like, oh shit, like, yeah. so it, they have bluegrass bands right. playing it. But then you're not also shocked. You're like, yeah, I mean, yeah, that makes sense. Makes sense. Yeah. But but the beauty is, then I have an ad too from the Rat from like 1976, yeah. and it's here's the Ramones are coming, and um, Willie Loco Alexander, yeah. and it's like. All right, so these aren't bluegrass bands. Right. These are not cover bands. Yeah. There's something going on here. Yeah. Like I can see it. It's national, yeah. um, but it's also there's this local thing. And yeah. who the hell are the inflictors? Right. And, and <laughs> who's DMZ? What the hell is right. DMZ? And so 
I guess in a weird way, it was me. So you could say on one hand, it's me being lazy because I don't want to explain <laughs> everything to you. Right. Um, but I will say, uh, you didn't hear that. And I will say, it's me daring you and saying, you should want to know more. Yeah. And here's a way for you to start. Yeah. Um, or if you already know it all, yeah. then you would be insulted if I told you what the right was. That right. if you were right. there, then who am I to tell you who right. it was? Yeah. You're... 15 years older than I am and you were there. So yeah. shame on me for right. having the audacity to tell you, <laughs> tell you about the right, you know? So, yeah. so, so it's fun, you know, and it's not just music. It's, uh, like hair salon. Some oh, yeah. of my favorite ads are like the hair salon ads because yeah. then that's very of the era. <laughs> of the era you, know? definitely. you look at it and you're like, Oh shit. Yeah. yeah that's 83. Yep. Um, so those you know, is restaurants and, yeah theater stuff and cultural stuff yeah. and the kite festival and yeah. um so yeah so so really what it is is like um if you were there in that era uh any part of that era because yeah. um, i was only there for part of that era yeah. and in, in the 60s i wasn't even born so yeah. i right. certainly wasn't there for yeah, that yeah. part of it so uh it brings you back yeah, and it's course. not it's not a book that's going to change the world, but it's it's fun. You no, know? definitely. But there's also weight to it yeah. uh, at certain times too. But yeah. it's not all dumb fun, and it's right. not all weight and heavy yeah. and historical. Yeah. It's everything. Yeah, I think um, anyone that's that's grown up around here, like you just said, and anyone I've shown this book to has loved it, and just yeah, it'll it'll bring back memories of even just, if you only know a third of it, yeah, you're yeah. still going to get something out of it. Which honestly. Yeah. So you could go back to my other books and yeah. say, if you go into either one of the Check to Techniques, yeah. you probably, I mean, maybe you know all the albums, right. but chances are you don't know much right. about all of those artists yeah. because it's a wide range. Yeah. There's like, you know, The Coup, and yeah. then there's also Run DMC. Right. So maybe you don't really know who The Coup are, and you're right. like, oh, these sounds really interesting. Yeah. I'd like to know more about them. So right. for me, it's like, that's gold, exactly. is if you get drawn in by the Beastie Boys chapter, yeah. but then you're like, I don't know who Black Moon, who's Black Moon? And right. like, let me let me check this shit out. And yeah. then you're like, oh my God, this is yeah. awesome. And then all of a sudden, yeah. you know, it's like a mixtape. You, you yeah. buy, or a compilation, you yeah. buy a couple tracks, yeah. or you know that it's on a label you like, but you don't yeah. know half the artists. So, yeah. so hopefully... Some of what Buy Me Boston is about is um, there's nothing you can buy. You're not going to support a certain artist, right. but it's like learn about or go back to that era. So you're either getting get a warm, fuzzy yeah. feeling yeah. going, oh, man, you know, like the you know the paradise back in 78 was incredible. <laughs> right. I actually just I'm still finding stuff constantly, which yeah. is yet again why there's going to be volumes. Yeah, I had no idea. But yet again, like someone who was there in the era would be like, well, duh. Right. Um, be right before it was between the Paradise was originally called the Boston Club. Right. If I'm not mistaken, mm -hmm. at the same location. Yep. But in between, there was this weird year or two phase yep. where it was called Dummies. Oh, really? And it was actually the reason it was called Dummies, according to now me. So I found the ad. Yeah. And I'm like, that address looks familiar. So I looked it up and I'm yeah. like, yeah, that's the Paradise. And I'm like, what in the hell is dummies? Yeah. And so, of course, I called David Bieber. I'm like, yeah. what the fuck was dummies? Yeah. It was like a Madame Tussauds oh, like, really? kind of wax oh, figures. Wow. 
Oh, that's amazing. It's really... Yeah, so that's cool stuff to discover. That... It's cool, but it's that's pretty stupid. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so you're also yeah, like, too, yeah. I can yeah. see why that was only around for a right. year or two. Yeah. Um, you know, so, so but stuff like that, I, I personally love. I love yeah. to know um, what a, a building, what a location was yeah. four iterations ago. Yeah. You know, so yeah. for instance, Night Stage, which is now completely gone. Yeah. It was called the Two of Clubs in the 60s okay. and early 70s. Then it became The Club. Yeah. Um, and by maybe mid-80s, it was Night Stage. Yeah. And, but by the 90s, was gone. Yeah. And now it doesn't even exist. It's yeah. dust. So it's cool, too. too. Yeah. I love that kind of stuff. There, There's a bunch of books out there, like photo books, where yeah. it'll show... A certain corner like here's what copley was right. in 1860 and here's yeah, what yeah. it looked like in 1940 and yeah. it's like wow you can see how everything so it's the same Definitely. kind of concept yeah. i've always loved that so it's me but uh, me approaching it right. from a very different um, perspective which is telling it through the ads yeah. um which the final thing i'll say about it the yeah. reason i did it mm-hmm. um or why i think it was an interesting challenge is ads are the only way, um, unless it's just you talking to the owner of the establishment on the street, right. of them conveying exactly what they want to convey. Yeah. So if you see an article written about a restaurant or a club or a band, mm-hmm. that's you're seeing it through the lens of the journalist and the right. publication. Of course. That's how they want to frame it. Mm-hmm. But when you take out an ad, you're paying. Yeah. So you get to say whatever the hell you want. Right. You get to make it look amazing you get to make it look like shit right that's on you you can make it you can hire a great photographer artist and do all this beauty so you look at these tea party ads from the 60s and they're ornate and gorgeous and you look at the channel ads and it's like yeah it's just a list of shows shows, (laughs) so but that's fine yeah so everyone every owner it's it's about business owners too you know it's like every person approaches the way that they um, talk about their business differently. Yeah. Um, and, th- and that to me is fascinating. And for people who are interested in that, they get to see that range too, yeah. p- beyond who was playing at the rat in 1977. Right. Um, so, so I, it's fun. It's not meant to, to really change the world, but I think that people who, who, uh, were in that era look back on it, kind of look back on that fondly because Definitely. it just does, it's, it doesn't exist anymore, yeah, you know, part so. of our culture and our blood. And yeah. Just. And so, so in a way it's maybe it's like shooting fish in a barrel, but, yeah. um, hopefully the way I put it together, even though it's, it's not, um, exactly, uh, in an academic way or right. it's not chronological, it's not completely scattershot. Yeah. Like no, it makes definitely. a little bit of sense. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, so I'm going to uh, release this episode in uh, November. Yep. And you have an event uh, coming up for this book. Yeah. So what, what, tell us about that. So the event, which obviously if you're listening to this after the event, you won't be <laughs> that no, impressed. But, right. um, it, and, but, but although I'd like to do this event as hopefully the first in maybe a series of things yeah. that won't all be about my right. new book, but yeah. more just a buy me boss and event. Yeah. Um, so it's it's at the Brattle Theater, yep. um, Sunday, November eleventh, yep. like all night, and it's gonna be um, uh, all not just about the book. It's gonna be a bunch of videos that I found that are all Boston centric. Oh, nice! Um, and some of them to relate directly to the book, and some right. of them are kind of tangential, but. Um, 
So it'd be like uh, Mission of Burma footage from the final show in 1983 yeah. at the Bradford. Yep. Um, Human sexual response. There's this amazing um, video of theirs from '82 mm-hmm. um, that Jan Crocker shot with the whole team. Uh, and, and each one of these, I'm not showing the whole thing. I'm going right. to show like 20 minutes, right. like little snippets, because yeah. I want it to create the whole range of what the yeah. book is about. So there's also a hip hop documentary uh, from 1985 oh, by wow. Rock Against Racism huh. organization, which is also important. I have flyers in the book from Rock Against Racism. Yeah. Um, so that, uh, there's some Prince Charles and the City Beat Band, yeah. Oh, yeah. who I'm frequently uh, upset and horrified by that more Bostonians don't know yeah. Prince Charles and don't uh, kind of like listen to his stuff with pride yeah. as being from Boston and mm-hmm. Uh, incredibly fun band, right. accomplished, etc. Um, and Prince Charles will actually be there oh, wow. um, on the panel that I'm going to do mm. in the middle of all these crazy videos. Yeah. So yeah, so I want to make it um, like a whole thing and not just uh, two-dimensional. I want it right. to be this video p- part of it because I love the brattle. Yeah. Um, I love old movie theaters and I like uh, seeing crazy shit on a big screen yeah so part of it is just because i'll be amused but hopefully yet again other people will find it fun too and and it'll be an interaction so right now and hopefully as long as there aren't any scheduling conflicts that arise it will be me um blowfish from boston groupie news who's Mm -hmm. amazing guy david bieber who i couldn't have done the book without his archives incredible yeah. from wbcn back in the day mm-hmm. uh not an on-air guy but right. he worked for bcn promo guy and the phoenix um and uh, dart adams who's okay. an awesome local historian does a podcast as a journalist a yeah. hip-hop guy but not just a hip-hop guy just loves boston yeah. lives and breathes it constantly does historical posts like on his instagram and twitter so it should be fun it's gonna be a little bit of everything Um, people can go show up at the beginning and stay all night or just go to one part or the other and it'll be different the video portion will be different it'll be like an hour of videos and two different segments um yeah it should be fun it's like the the book itself it would have been silly of me and inauthentic to make it uh, too academic and yeah, too like egg-headed. A show or something. Yeah, right. like, oh, sit down and I'll show you this overhead projector. <laughs> yeah. yeah, this sounds of. like more of an event. I'm kind yeah. of bummed that I'm going to be out of town for this. Yeah, it'll be, it's going to be a mess. I'm sure, I'm sure shit will go wrong. And <laughs> right. I, I, that's good. That's yeah, fine. Because yeah. that's Boston and that's rock and roll and yeah. that's the way it goes. So, but like I said, I hope to, because I keep running across crazy More videos stuff, and yeah. as i'm looking at, and say a year ago i wasn't really thinking about it i was like just focused on yeah. the paper goods and the ads and right. the boston phoenixes from the 70s yeah but now i see like a vhs tape and i'm like <laughs> wait a minute what is this what yeah. the, like i a good example a quick example at david bieber's archive he has a bunch of kiss 108 stuff from yeah. the, the golden days of kiss 108 yeah. and all this vhs set on the side of it was kiss dancers yeah and I was like, what the fuck is that? Yeah. <laughs> like this, you know, my mind is racing. Yeah. Like, what does that even mean? Right. And it was actually as dope as I hoped it would be. Yeah. It was in the disco era in like 79, 80, yeah. which is right when Kiss 108 started. Yeah. Um, there was some, I forget who it was, but it was like a local dance studio. Yeah. Had this collaboration between Kiss 108 
and to teach disco dancing. Oh, really? And it was a show <laughs> yeah. on like, uh, you know, like uh, probably on Channel 38 or something, yeah. this weekend variety show. And it was the Kiss Dancers oh, wow. dancing to this like obscure <laughs> disco song. And there's right. a disco ball and there. Yeah. There's like 10 of them or, you That's know, funny. and I'm like, holy shit, this is incredible. So yeah. this is the kind of stuff that as an archivist and yeah. as a digger, you kind of come across this stuff. Yeah. And now instead of passing it over, I'm going to be like, I'm right. going to grab it and I'm going to digitize it. And then I'm hopefully going to share it at some point. Nice. But hopefully it'll be a, a thing like the Found Fifth Film Festival, you yeah. know, but oh, just yeah. a Boston centric right. type of thing. Yeah. Yeah. So we'll... uh It'll be fun, and uh, you know the it's been great. The book so far, I've been definitely um, pleasantly surprised—not surprised, but I've been gratified by people who are the ones that I made it for, which yeah. are the people who are maybe fifty-five to right. sixty-five who yeah, are yeah. right in the middle of this era, yeah. and they just look at it like oh, yeah. it's their family album, yeah. and they're like, oh, you know, like instead of the oh, there's yeah. cousin Fred, it's like right, oh right. shit, you know, like there's. <laughs> There's a the in square men's bar, yeah. you know, like I remember oh, yeah. that place. Oh shit, you know. Yeah. Um, and that's what I that's what I wanted. I yeah. wanted people to be able to flip through it randomly. Yeah. Um, you know, it's a good bathroom reader, yeah. and it has an index, so people yeah. can, if you want to, just look through the index right. and specifically go to where you want to go. That's yeah. great. Um, but you know, it's it's been great. So yeah. and local retail has been cool about it. Like Newbury Comics is carrying it and. Yeah, so where can people buy the book? So you can buy it from me uh, yeah. direct. Uh, it's just buymeboston.com, uh, B-U-Y, me. Yeah. Um, but, you know, Newbury Comics, Brookline Booksmith, uh, Trey Gatos and JP, um, Bodega is carrying it, which I find to be very amazing because yeah. that place, I'm not anywhere near fashionable <laughs> enough and hip enough to shop there, but they right. carry it That's and awesome. they, they're very selective about what they carry. So yeah. that one's kind of cool. Yeah. Um, you know, shouts to Oliver who owns it, who's a, a great DJ and, yeah. and is a, you know, appreciates the historical aspect of it. Yeah. Um, yeah. And it'll be at even more local retail spots. I keep building, you know, I'm doing all this stuff myself yeah. and I'm building this distribution network. Yeah. Uh, in air quotes as as I go along. I don't want to get it everywhere. Right. I just want to get it in places where it makes sense. Yeah. Um, you know, so like Newbury Comics is great. Like yeah. I, I really don't give a shit. Right. If it's in Barnes and Noble, if right. so, that's fine. Yeah. Um, you can buy it on Amazon, but yeah. don't. Right. <laughs> <laughs> don't do that. Buy it at a real retailer yeah. who yeah. cares yeah. about the people whose who's yeah. wares they sell. Yeah. Um, yeah. So so it's been cool, but. As the backup, anyone can order it directly from me. I'll have yeah. obviously uh, copies at at the uh, at the show. I'm also going to do a Boston Public Library talk oh, right. in January. Oh, okay. Um, I think on the 17th. Yeah. Um, that uh, Prince Charles will be there again. David Bieber, hopefully yeah. Kay Bourne. Oh, okay. Um, yeah. So it, awesome. it's all just kind of fun, and, yeah. and honestly, the the thing, the reason I do my books, if you really want to boil it down to, is I get to have interesting conversations i have an excuse to have great yeah. conversations with people whether it's about hip-hop or yeah. boston because i wanted to i've done the hip-hop thing um and i certainly haven't done as much as i could do yeah. but i just think i'm turning my focus on boston because i yeah. think there are a lot of stories to tell yeah. um that haven't yet been told but i think there are you know uh, dirty old boston's incredible yeah. and and a lot of the things there's a brand new documentary 
I think debuting tomorrow about oh, chess. chess. Yeah, so yeah. um, there's been stuff about the rat and yeah. the boys from nowhere yeah. documentaries. Incredible. So yeah. it's exciting. Yeah, definitely. and honestly, there's enough out there that none of us are. It's all complimentary. No yeah. one's competing with anyone. Right. It's like awesome. Oh my yeah, god, yeah. there's yeah, a thing about yeah. DMZ and the and the liars. Right. Like bring it on, you know. Yeah, so um, it's great, and I and I'm I'm very. Uh, honored to contribute to it. If, yeah. if people find it enjoyable, then yeah. then I appreciate it. Yeah. And I try to keep the price low on it too. I could charge more, right? But because I come out of the the, the punk rock world, yeah. it's like you know what? You, you don't have to sell your shirts on the table for twenty. Right. You, know, you can make ten, yeah. and still make a profit. So yeah. I always appreciate when you know it's some uh, a band who's just like, yeah, you know, we don't have to gouge right. people. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, to, and yeah, to sort of wrap this up a, a little, uh, one of the running themes of a lot of the episodes is people that got into the hardcore scene early. Yeah. And just how that's now, just it's part of their life. And we're it's all a, grown yeah. up. <laughs> we're <laughs> all grown up and we're not snotty yeah, little kids right, anymore. Right. Yeah, and it's, we're and snotty it's, old men. Yeah, and it's and it's uh, gotten people into just being more creative or just into how they're, what they do in their career. or you know, Nope. And all comes from that. Yeah, but it's like doing it. this podcast is punk rock. You know, yeah. it's like it's it's dope to me to um, to constantly to to grow and get older and yeah. and but not to get lame. You know, yeah. to find ways and and I think that people don't get enough credit to being in the punk world and the, yeah. in the hardcore world that um, what it really creates in you yeah. is m- wanting to do something different. Yeah, wanting to do something that makes a difference. Yeah, um, and that engages people and, yeah. and and is not a one way conversation. Right. I mean, yeah. hardcore and punk were never a one way thing. Right. It was always two ways. Yeah. and and I think that a lot of people who came out of that scene, yeah. like both of us, want to do want to find ways to have conversations and not yeah. just yell at people and, right. and, and engage. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. That's, that's how I like doing this podcast. It's an excuse. You do an amazing job. It's it's Thanks, great. Man. And the stuff you talk about is important. And the Thanks. people you talk with are unique. Yeah. You know? So yeah. I appreciate being on. Cool. Thanks for doing this, man. It's my honor. Awesome. Thank you. Yeah.